Wait a second. This isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi, I'm Tatum Duroc, and today we have a tasting platter of topics, a smorgasbord of subjects, because we've been delving in to the last year of podcast episodes. So if you've missed any, this is a great episode. We've pulled out some of the best bits. If this is your first time listening, welcome. This is a great one to listen to because you can see, you know, oh, I really want a little bit more in that subject. You can just dive on into it and find that podcast. So we're going to jump right in with our cancer and friendships episode. And Eleanor, who is diagnosed with breast cancer in her 30s, is talking about how she chose to share her diagnosis. I need to control this news. I need to put it out there. And how can I do it in a way that's not too personal, but also gives the message? And I, I didn't have the words to say it. So I, in the times of three o'clock in the morning insomnia, instead of going and ranting on Facebook, I went and bought a, a very sweary T-shirt. Oh, tell us the T-shirt. <laughs> it's a very pretty T-shirt and it says, uh, stay strong, fuck cancer. Nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and did you model said T-shirt? Do you know, I didn't because I couldn't actually where it, again it was still the the stage of processing i i needed the news to be out there uh-huh. i knew that i would wear the t-shirt so i just took a sort of photo of this really pre- and it's such a pretty beautiful flowery design <laughs> <laughs> you know the ones you normally associate with all the the positive affirmation messaging mm-hmm. um and it's just the different slogan and i just put that on facebook saying hmm so i and other social media so this is I have cause to um, wear this T-shirt a bit over the next few months. Uh, if in doubt, get checked out. You're not too young. Um, and then just left it. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't respond straight away that, you know, and obviously had lovely comments from people. People got in touch. Um, but I, I couldn't. Again, it was part of the processing. I couldn't react to them straight away. Yeah. D- did that feel a bit overwhelming? very much so yeah um I mean it's lovely that you get this support um but when it all comes at once in Mm -hmm. a flood yeah it's quite um quite scary (laughs) in a different way and it's you don't want to sort of you want to be able to respond to people properly because you know that there's some really heartfelt messages and it's just I didn't have the words to respond um at that time we hear this all the time at shine that overwhelm almost feeling like you want to hide even from the nicest messages because you really want to send the perfect message in response in the same episode neil who had brain cancer in his 20s was also giving advice about how to have some conversations with friends because the thing is we're on a roller coaster of what we need and what we need changing but how are we supposed to know what we need and how are our friends supposed to know what we need so here's Neil with some of his advice 
One thing that I absolutely loved that I've talked to quite a lot of people within the Shine community that that had similar feelings about this was um, I had a couple of friends who I would say, you know, um, especially because I, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and they didn't know if it was cancer then it was cancer then I was like it was kind of bad news after bad news mm. and it, it kept I kept having something to share with people that wasn't great and one one or two of my friends they were just called that that's really shit that, that just sucks full stop not what about these 16 things that you can do not um this is what you can do to cure yourself not any advice nothing just being there with you um and there's a really interesting um, video that we use within Shine. Um, you can look at it on YouTube, but it's uh, by Brené Brown. Mm-hmm. And it looks at the difference between sympathy and empathy. And sympathy is sort of saying, well, at least it's curable or sort of silver lining what you're what what you're going through. Yeah, um, it's like any sentence that starts with yeah, at least. At least or, or why don't you do this or this is what you should do. Whereas actually empathy is just being like, I'm here with you. Um, Mm -hmm. If you want to sit here and you want to play video games and just pretend nothing's happening, I'm here with you. Or if you want to give me a call and just um, spend some time talking about soap operas. I love that. To be able to know whether you want a conversation to distract you and take your mind off everything, or whether you want someone just to listen to you. And having those conversations in advance really taking away a lot of that awkwardness. One of the other things that happens after we're diagnosed with cancer is we suddenly start to notice a lot more marketing coming at us that seems a bit scamish. So myself, Kynwin and Claire sat down to talk about cancer scams and scammers and how what they're doing sometimes affects how people see us. Do I have to prove myself? And definitely I do. Like my cancer and conditions you know certainly my conditions now are invisible and there is an element of people go but you look great and you think are you saying I look not ill enough to complain about my illness or Mm. are you saying you know uh, you think I should be doing more than I'm doing because I look okay to do it so there's a lot it just it just adds a lot to your psyche doesn't it yeah that you sort of carry with you I think when you know this stuff goes on out there And I think also, I mean, I don't think, I don't know that I've experienced that. Probably I just looked so terrible when I was having treatment. People, (laughs) there was no question there was something very wrong with me. But um, I do know people who like say particularly, maybe you've got bowel cancer, you've been having treatment and your hair doesn't fall out. Right. And Mm -hmm. and then they've experienced people kind of saying to them, well, do you really have cancer? Or, you know, kind of that, like, Mm -hmm. well, how sick are you if you haven't lost your hair? Um, Because actually, what the kind of common conception is is that you have cancer and your cancer treatment will mean you're bald and then and that's how we all know you're sick and so when you don't fit that then I think people are suspicious and maybe not even thinking I mean I don't know what they think they might not think necessarily you're full-on faking cancer but maybe just that you're not quite as sick as you're making out to be right and that can be really tough because you know, the vast 99.999% of people would never claim to have an illness that they they don't have just because, I mean, that's bad karma. I do think that one of the reasons that as a group, we're quite 
susceptible to people doing that is because cancer is so diverse, that everyone's got a different treatment that two people with the same cancers can have. So it's not like you can just know enough about cancer and go, oh, they're definitely, you know, <laughs> that's definitely not real. One of the top cancer scammers has got to be Belle Gibson. Oh, and Belle. Belle. Yeah. Oh. I don't you know, know Belle. If you haven't heard of Belle, she was one of the original, like, Instagram, whole food. She was, um, you know, considered to be beautiful and she was beating her brain cancer, her terminal brain cancer with a whole foods diet and everything was gorgeous. And you know, she got huge. So Apple um, flew her out. They were going to put her app, the whole pantry, on the Apple Watch. Um, she had a book deal with Penguin. She was on TV and she shared her, her cancer journey, you know, the ups and downs. And she claimed to have several different types of cancer, which is unusual. And then I did some research it's not as unusual as I thought it was. So even after being around the cancer world for as long as I have, it is rare. But the thing is about cancer is anything can happen. And there yeah. is a um, disorder, and they reckon that only like a thousand people in the whole world have it, where you're just susceptible for, to loads of different types of cancer. So you could be, you know, you could have several and they won't be, they'll all be primary cancers. But yes, Belle, what what did you think of her? Did you, did you know her before she was exposed as a fraud? I think I came to her near the end because I think I had seen something when near the end when she kind of started to lose it and she came out saying she had all these cancers I mean it was bizarre right because mm. I know that you can have different types of cancer yeah. but she kind of came out I can't remember the exact order but it was basically like she had terminal brain cancer and then all of a sudden she had like skin cancer bowel cancer you know gynecological cancers like eight different types of cancers and I remember thinking well that doesn't sound right and then sure mm. enough it kind of it all blew up so I'm, you know, lucky that I never downloaded her app or paid her money, but she made a lot of money yeah. off of that mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, she claimed she was giving some of it to charity. I don't think there's any evidence that she ever did. No. I mean, she's, I, I think she's not a well person. <laughs> if you, I mean, if anyone's listening to this and they want to do a deeper dive, the 60 Minutes Australia interview <laughs> with her is well worth watching. But mm. she, yeah, I mean, there's something psychologically a bit off I think yeah definitely and it brings up a really interesting point doesn't it because like you say we get the vibe that sense of like this doesn't feel right but you also don't want to be the like asshole who like challenges someone who really does have cancer exactly so like when I knew someone the, the person I knew when I was younger I remember reading the letters and going that doesn't sound like a letter from a like from a real clinic like having been through it obviously I was the worst person to try confiding because I knew what kind of things you normally get in a letter and, mm -hmm. and I was like but it took a good six months before I was willing to even talk say to another friend well is there anything that is you know and I just <laughs> I didn't want to be the person who did that first and was proved wrong so actually you do put yourself in a kind of you sort of protect yourself with this you know well who's going to challenge someone who's got cancer 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was the issue with Belle Gibson is yeah. that no one really challenged her, even all the publishers of her book and Apple and all that kind of stuff. And later on, they when they did a, they sort of went back and looked at what went wrong. I think everyone said, oh, well, we just, you know, no one thinks someone's going to make that up. So no one had asked to see a yeah. clinic letter. So yeah, in that episode, it's amazing what people will do and try and get away with. But moving on, we had Dominic join us to talk about creativity and relearning how to live your life. And what he did was he created a really beautiful audio essay. And that was his version of the sweary t-shirt from Eleanor. The story was meant to end on the 20th of November. This was the date of my consultation with the neurosurgeon who had two weeks before removed a golf ball sized tumour from my brain. This was the date when it would be confirmed they'd removed a benign tumour or, in his words, low-grade glioma. I told the surgeon I'd recovered well since the operation. I'd had some headaches and gastric problems, but nothing significant. I was ready to get discharged and get on with my life. I thought I might read a book about brain tumours learning more about the most memorable health scare in all my 27 years. It would be a story I'd tell when I was an old man. But then the surgeon paused and adjusted his gaze. He said, it's difficult news, I'm afraid. You have a grade 4 tumour called a glioblastoma. It's highly malignant. I didn't immediately know this meant cancer, thinking malignant was synonymous with serious or bad. The word cancer was never used, in fact. When I was told I'd be seeing an oncologist the following week and be due to start radiotherapy, I knew I wasn't done with this yet. I would have thought getting diagnosed with brain cancer would involve a sinking feeling, panic, sweats, perhaps tears, but it was just pure incomprehension. I didn't know the implications or consequences as I sat on my sofa on a video call with the doctor that Friday afternoon. I wanted to hear some statistics. He told me the average survival rate after diagnosis is about 18 to 24 months, but he stressed that this was an average. I was about 40 years younger than the average age for a diagnosis of this kind, so perhaps I'd be different. In the weeks that followed, cancer was the first thing that crawled into my mind when I woke up. For 10 minutes each morning, I'd stare into the walls of my room and contemplate that I had a deadly illness, something that would probably kill me. Other times, death wasn't so explicit. The word cancer would drift into my consciousness and that I'd go and have breakfast. You can hear the entire audio essay in that episode with Dominic. And his voice is so incredible. And that ability to make that experience so relatable. And I think so many of us have laid in bed in the morning, staring into the corners of the room while pondering what it means to have this diagnosis. So here he is talking about what it was like to send this out to his friends. Sending it to people who I haven't seen for a while. It's a much better way, I think, to send them this and say, look, here's a immersive sonic experience I've created with my friend that kind of details my cancer journey. Um, And I think you probably get more out of this listening alone or whatever. And then we can talk about it afterwards than me just blabbering on and incoherently trying to get my story across. I think because this is something that's been created 
edited, refined. Um, it doesn't have any of the fat or waffling that is added into kind of conversation. I know you said that the responses have been positive. Have there been any particular expressions that have come up that people have messaged you with afterwards or how, um, how they felt listening to it? I think there has been um, some gratitude from people um, for, for being honest and being uh, vulnerable, I suppose, mm-hmm. and kind of talking about those difficult things when maybe we would, we would prefer to just push those to the side. You know, the statistics are quite depressing, but to, to weave those gloomier details in with the kind of mundane and also the, the personal, mm-hmm. I think there's, yeah, it's a kind of nice mix of expression. Dominic mentions the personal, and that's one of the things that we really like to delve into in this podcast, the things that don't always get talked about. And one of those things is sex. So I asked Kynwin, how do you get someone to talk about sex at a Shine Connect conference? I think, well, not enough people talk about it. It can be really hard to find experts and people that are available. I think one thing I loved about Cheryl and Sarah, who who we had on as part of the conference, I met them actually back in the summer. And it was purely somehow, I can't remember how, I had come across a really beautifully designed booklet on cancer and intimacy. And I knew the person who had designed the booklet. So I emailed them and said, who wrote the content for this? And so she put me in touch with Cheryl and Sarah who have this program called Cancer, Sex and Intimacy. And so that was how I met them. I chatted to them in the summer. They live in South London. So we were like, oh, great. We all live in South London. We've all had cancer. And I think for me, what was really nice is that it it gave us the ability to have a patient-led session because it is really different. There are some great experts out there, but to have people who have had cancer and been through it and can speak from that point of view mm-hmm. just seemed like a great opportunity. So I had them on my list for about six months, actually, um, saying, okay, i got to get these guys to come along. Brilliant. We're going to hear them introduce themselves now. This project came about really from feelings of, I would say, feelings of in in injustice around the kind of lack of conversations that happened around cancer, sex and intimacy. So my personal story is that I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in January 2017. And my treatment um, was quite complex. I ended up having a stem cell transplant. And along the way, I was always being told about the side effects that would happen to my hair, my stomach, my um just my skin, you know, I was told about all those kinds of side effects and fertility was discussed as well, which is great, but never was sex talked about. Never once was I asked. And when I found after my stem cell transplant that actually I was having some quite difficult, some quite strange and um, unfamiliar side effects, I felt completely lost. I was shocked. Um, So I found that after the stem cell transplant, that sex was actually very painful. When I came to have um, sex with my partner, penetrative sex, it was excruciating and I had no idea why. And for along my cancer journey, actually, sex had been something that was quite comforting and it made me feel kind of a bit more connected to my body when all these terrible things were happening um and then after my stem cell transplant to find suddenly I was um kind of left in the dark with this this 
pain that I wasn't remotely expecting. It, 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 was, it was hard to deal with. Reclaiming a sense of fun and pleasure in our bodies after they've been through so much is something that we also explored in our Queer Sex episode with Stuart O'Callaghan, who was 29 when they were diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukaemia. And they run a charity called Live Through This for queer people with cancer. I've definitely supported a lot of patients who have had cancers in sort of intimate areas. And then they find it really hard to shift from thinking about that part of their body in a clinical way back into a sexual way. Yeah. Because they've had to sort of think about it almost as this problem area for a while. And also have a lot of people kind of look at them in ways that don't feel very intimate either. So, you know, it's the first part of that examination and checkups and... And there've been people who've just sort of contacted me as well, usually asking for advice too. They want to know how safe and how soon they can return to anal sex. Yeah. And there was one patient that I supported who came through our peer support network and he had had anal cancer. So sort of was dealing with that idea of how do I erogenize this zone again, but also how soon can I return to anal sex? And we, from a charity perspective, tried to give him, you know, the answers that are there, but we have to be professional. And he ended up sort of trying to find additional support and ended ended up contacting another patient in America. And that was the first time he got to have a real conversation where he got to speak frankly about these things. So uh, I think what you were saying earlier, Tatum, about the importance of even intake forms being Mm -hmm. inclusive, it sort of sets an environment where someone's like, okay, you understand who I am, respect who I am, and that I can have those conversations because there's definitely, you know, the environment itself is, you know, pretty clinical. There's a lot of uh, power hierarchies that sort of unspoken. There's this idea of how can I get my clinician to talk about something that, let's be honest, general society isn't really comfortable talking about. No, nobody and, uh, is really. And they're often quite uncomfortable. Um, absolutely. And, and that conversation is super important because it's about it's about outcome mapping and sort of projecting together about what changes can be expected. And that can help someone understand the changes that are going to happen to their body as they're happening and how to recover afterwards. Whereas if you're promised that it's all going to be fine, you might come out the other side and be upset when you realise there's quite a few differences that can happen. It just shows how talking can be this point of reconnecting with our bodies to be able to know that that experience you're not alone in can be that first step to actually addressing what's happening with you. And Stuart talks more about the power of conversation. Everybody kind of assumes naively when you get cancer that you just go through it and then you get out the other side. And I think everyone around you assumes that as well. As you know, as patients, it's always, are you good now? Are you fixed? Yeah. Is everything done? We're all good, and, all better. Yeah, and it's exhausting. And it's also really tricky because then cancer does affect you in so many ways and when it affects your sexual wellness or your activity that can be pretty frustrating and then especially you know as a queer person where part of your identity is how you have sex and who with and how you share that part of your body so then moving forwards with that and having to almost re-establish that and I think sometimes the cultures that people engage with sexually can sometimes be a bit tricky so if you are into sex clubs or hookup culture and things like that it's also how do you navigate those spaces after your health right or if even if you have a long-term partner having that conversation how do you almost go back to the start and talk about consent and these things and and i think it really comes back to that idea of 
conversations and consent. And also, as Lizzie's touched on as well, is having frank conversations as early as possible with your clinician, just so you can kind of map what these differences will be. And, and if you're struggling to have those conversations with your clinician, see if you can get referred to a psychosexual therapist who's much more comfortable with this stuff, will have a literal toolbox of sex toys, and will talk you through things that might also help you actually get to where you're going to, but just add in a little tool that's going to help you get there. So say, for example, you've had a shortening of the vagina and so you, you know deep penetration is just not possible it's very painful there's these things called o-nuts that are silicon rings that slip onto the base of either a dildo strap on or penis that can act as a cushion so again you can relax into the moment and it's that idea of sex should be not only fun and positive and reaffirming but you should also be able to relax into it yeah. and feel and feel nourished by it and you should never feel that you have to engage in sex to keep the interest of the people around you oh yeah it should, it should always be on your terms and your comfort especially when you've gone through something that really does change the way that you see your body one of the other things that can really change how we see our bodies is menopause, which can be mental emotional and physical and abby who had cancer in her 30s, shared with us how it's affected her. It's taken nine years for me to feel like myself again, like mm. post-cancer me, and to, like you, take ownership of it and to say to my friends, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I'm just having one of my menopausal moments. And I call it Menopausal Mary, that's my name. And I have these moments of Menopausal Mary has these moments where she pops out and she does things and she'll you know I never would get angry at things before I was always quite chilled and mellow and let things I didn't like confrontation and, and things like that but now if I feel that something's been you know if somebody's been done down or something's happened or menopausal Mary will come out and she oh, will yeah. put her foot down and she will say no hang on a minute you're wrong or whatever <laughs> <laughs> there is a fierceness that can happen isn't there <laughs> definitely yeah. it's like this wow woman comes out and it's like oh where did she come from but I quite like it I quite <laughs> like it <laughs> I was working as um, a health coach for a menopause company and seeing women who had not had cancer talking about menopause was fascinating because it really made me see how much people that have had cancer play it down, you know, and actually when everything else has been going fine and then it's just menopause, you know, they were devastated by it, whereas we've almost been conditioned to, oh, let's get on with it we're alive right yeah yeah and and actually you know when something does get into your relationships or changes your mood or changes your capacity to work that is huge and and Abby how has that affected your relationship with your husband well it's it's been hard it's been hard I mean Paul is amazing don't get me wrong he has been my rock my absolute uh, one to depend on my he you know we've been together well married 20 years this year so you know we've been together a long long time and he has he's just incredible but the physical side of our relationship has taken a huge huge knock a huge knock this is not your grandma's cancer show and we're taking a look back on our last year of podcasts and in our cancer souvenirs episode we talk about long-term side effects with Barbara who had tongue cancer when she was 31. I did really well for a long time 
But what then the next thing, um, which I really didn't see coming. So for six months, I was Mrs. Positive, super strong. I, I, I'm astonished myself how I dealt with it. I was super present, loved every minute of life and, you know, got a bit deep about it. Um, sorry to my mates on this. On the, on the but um, about six months later, I suddenly, my emotions were completely out of control. And I went through these different cycles um, of different emotions, which also made me really tired. So fatigue was kicking my backside. But um, I then later on discovered that actually this was PTSD type symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and without getting help, it was just going to escalate into a full blown PTSD diagnosis, which I think I was lucky to realize that something wasn't right and I was also lucky that my GP didn't just listen to me but then fought to get me a place um for for some triage um um therapy I'm really glad that your GP did that what were some of the signs of the PTSD so it first started the first times I noticed is I had to go back to the hospital for a checkup and we ended up going in the room where I had the biopsy. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, I mean, next to everything else that happened to me, the biopsy was almost the most traumatic. And um, every time I can't go into this room, not even now, three years on, because it, it gives me flashbacks and it basically makes me physically sick. Yeah, I get shakes. Um, but not whilst I'm there. It's usually within like 20 minutes, 30 minutes after when I get home, and that's when I would start uh, vomiting, shaking, and just feel a bit out of it. And as you can hear, I'm a chatty person. What happens the opposite? Mm-hmm. I go really quiet. Um, you won't get much out of me. And then I go through a cycle of different emotions. And not to go into too much detail into all of them, but I think the most two extreme ones is the anger, which actually isn't just anger it's aggression Mm -hmm. and it wasn't aggression directed at anyone around me but towards myself and the worst time we had was when I actually was um, either hitting myself in the face or knocking my head against the wall because I was so frustrated I just couldn't contain I couldn't manage my emotion I couldn't there was no logic to it I didn't know why I felt that way and then the the sort of cycle that will come after was extreme sadness mm-hmm. and I can't even describe what that sadness sa- like feels like when I'm not in it but it's like the bottom of the pit it's never going to get better yeah. complete and utter end of life sadness um and every, and nothing nothing makes sense anymore and there's no point in trying anymore and completely defeatist um now with you know a bit of practice I know when this does happen and I can't control it and sometimes it does happen that actually the best thing for me is to give in to it and let and feel it and let it pass but I know that it passes Hmm. so I know now if I'm feeling really down and dumped in the dumps I was like yeah it's temporary it's gonna pass and actually the faster I can get my mind to accept that quite often I go through those cycles really quickly um, and with now, I mean, the last one I had is quite a while ago now, it's probably about five months ago. And that was through within a couple of hours. 
And it was actually only after that I went, oh, I think that was a that was a cycle. PTSD, grief, sadness is something that so many of us experience. And hearing Barbara talk about what's helped her in acknowledging what she's going through and actually by that acknowledging that those waves of emotions actually becoming smaller and easier to manage is so useful to hear. Now we're going to hear from Reem, who had breast cancer, about how we don't need to compare ourselves to other people. There's some people which are incredible and I really look up to them. They go through something massive like cancer and then they get inspired and achieve even more and climb mountains and create these incredible social enterprises. And I look up to them and I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. You know, you've got this amazing enlightenment and you're doing amazing. But also what I found is the majority of people don't. They don't, they're not like that. Those are a minority and they're incredible and you know, good for them. But also the majority of us are not. Like a lot of people that I've spoken to have taken several steps down from very high-powered jobs in HR, in, in in whatever. I've had to take several steps down. So I think part of doing the therapy is actually recognising my limits and boundaries and mm. kind of working within what I have. Because I do have fatigue. I have a lot of side effects. Um, I I have a, a chronic long-term condition uh, which affects me. Uh, and, and so you have to be realistic of the situation that you're living in. You can't compare yourself to what even you used to be, no. in fact, or even what your peers are at that moment in time that haven't gone through the same thing as you because right. it would destroy you because that's what it did to me because I was like, oh, my God, I'm failing at life, like on mm-hmm. every possible level, like, what is going on? I'm bankrupt. I am, you know, I I can't keep a job. I don't know what I wanted. You know, I felt lost for someone that's known exactly what I wanted to do in the past. Suddenly, like everything has gone tits up, basically. Uh, but we have to take stock to, on our situation and actually look at what we're achieving. We're, we're surviving in under conditions which are extreme (laughs) and we're still trying our best like like we need to give ourselves credit for those achievements rather than looking at the bigger picture or comparing ourselves to people that have never even gone through anything remotely the same as us and but that's hard it's Mm. hard to accept that because you've lost a part of you you're accepting something you're accepting a new you and yeah. that's difficult because you're saying goodbye to the old one and saying, right, hello, I'm having to create a new me. And and that's tough. That's hard work. I really appreciate Reem's compassionate approach to giving ourselves a bit more space. And it can be so challenging. Like when we think about our minds and what's going on, and we may have experienced chemo brain or cancer brain fog or menopause mind and it can feel like oh that we're going a little crazy and so I spoke to occupational therapist Tamsin Langley from the Royal Marsden and nurse Sarah Stapleton and they're doing some research and running groups helping people with brain fog. Research shows that using compensatory strategies as well as rehabilitatory strategies are is, is the most effective approach because you'll be able to get achieve what you want in a shorter space of time um, and also enhance your quality of life because you're using both strategies. Um, 
but it's also worth thinking about actually the impact of you know how your mind and body works in relation to cognition so as sarah said um mood stress um sleep um all impact our cognition so um definitely on our course we look at the factors that we can control so we're talking about controlling the controllable so whether it's the effects of stress mood exercise all of which we know have an impact on our cognition sleep um and then we look at the different strategies to be able to um hopefully improve or manage the symptoms of cancer related cognitive impairment do you find that some people just think they're going crazy like they they they're convinced that they have early onset dementia is that something you're nodding <laughs> yeah, yeah so. that's, a, that's a real common concern for for patients and um, patients have often reported to me that they think they're getting dementia early dementia or that their cancer is spread to their brain as well yeah. that's a common fear a fear of fear of progression and i guess that's part of the work that we're trying to do is by helping people understand that this is um, a, a treatment and cancer-related problem, that it is transient and for most people will get better, it just provides that reassurance that it's it's nothing much worse and that things aren't going to take a downward turn that is uh, progressive as well, because that's the other thing. This is not something that's degenerative. Um, it's something that happens usually for a space of time um, and then that will recover as the other lasting effects of treatment recover. That was so reassuring for me to hear that brain fog is not around forever and it does get better. So if you've been experiencing it, definitely check out that episode. They've got loads more great information about it. And it's called um, brain fog. <laughs> because we don't always remember our words. So Af joined me. And she wanted to share what it was like going through cancer as a black woman and how the resources to support her simply weren't there. When I was looking for resources and, you know, information, everything was for fair-skinned, white-skinned. White you know, I had found um, a course that would help you because when you, when you go through cancer treatment, lose all your hair. And I did quite quickly, lose lost my hair everywhere. So you kind of have these things where, you know, you want to like boost your confidence, make yourself feel good, mm -hmm. you know, going through all that treatment, it does make you feel bad. So if you can have pockets of moments where it makes you feel kind of revitalised, yeah. then you want to latch onto that. And I did, but I felt so disheartened when I could... Every piece of information that I saw to do with this was all to do with white women and white skin. The makeup was very, very for very fair skin. The people on the posters, mm -hmm. on any kind of advertising, it was all for. So I thought, well, that's excluding me. That doesn't make me feel like that this is going to be for me. Yeah. So I just didn't bother. Yeah. And I felt like, well, that's open to so many women, but it's ex excluding a high level of women mm -hmm. why is that in this day and age I couldn't believe like in 2022 that there were these disparities within cancer services yeah and you had mentioned that there was um, a, a young woman 
that you had met or had seen speak that was talking about the impact of having a white prosthetic. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So along my active treatment, I have reached out to a number of women um, through support groups, through being signposted and meeting a specific person through my local cancer centre. And she was explaining to me about one of the moments in her process where she was having to have a mastectomy and then after mastectomy, she was given a white prosthetic. And I was I was just shocked. I was I was dumbfounded. I was I couldn't believe that I was being told this. Um, and she's mixed heritage, so quite light skinned mixed heritage. And I just thought, and this was at the moment before I knew what course of action was to be taken when it came to my surgery. Right. So my anxiety levels just went through the roof thinking, wow, I'm going to be one of those darker skinned women that's going to be walking around with an actual white, not even a blush colour, white (laughs) prosthetic. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and that played on my mind up to the very appointment that I had with my surgeon before I was told that I wouldn't be having a mastectomy, I would be having a lumpectomy. So Af herself went online to find out what there was in terms of support and she shared with us what she found. There are services out there that will support you um, and, you know, really do persevere. And I know at times it can be tough, but definitely be determined to get that support, guidance and advice that you deserve. Um, So there are places, online is a good place to start. Um, There are places like Cancer Education UK that's really informative. Um, And personally, I've got a lot of information from there. There is Black Women Rising and Black Men Rising um, support groups that, um, again, have social media presence and support groups online and in person. Um, And there's also, when you feel like you might have that level of mistrust, there's also um, resources that you can access through Percy Health, which is another platform and website that I um, used as well. So definitely don't give up. Yes. And I know that actually somebody came, like had been part of Shine, like online for ages. But when she saw there was a group specifically for black and Asian and minoritized ethnic backgrounds was like, yes, Yes. that's the one I want to go to. Like. it's so exciting that Shine has just... It's in, it's in its infancy, but Shine Connected is all about that. We had a, um online meeting last night and there was a woman that joined right at the very end and she said it, those exact words. Yeah. She was like, I'm so happy I have found Shine Connected, a group for specifically Black, Asian, minoritized ethnic backgrounds. This is what I have been looking for. She said, I feel so happy that I have found this group. And we are so happy that Af found Shine. She left an amazing mark. Her exuberance, her joy, her um, movement. She was a dance teacher and she shared that with us. And it can be really tough when someone that we meet with cancer that becomes one of our cancer friends passes away, especially somebody so young and so vibrant. 
So we had an episode about losing our cancer friends and we had Mari join us who had recently lost her friend Tasha. One particular person we just clicked instantaneously um, on the very first like meet. I mean, we were just like two peas in a pod. It was it was unbelievable, incredible, the similarities that me and that girl had. Um, of all the people, if you could hand pick a friend mm-hmm. who would be, a, you know, forget cancer, but just on values, interests, thought processes, sense shared sense of humour, on all those aspects. And I heard you had a dark. You both shared a dark sense of humour as well. We did. We had our we had our moments. We, you know, sometimes you have to laugh or you cry, honestly, and you have to make light of a situation. Sometimes it's the only way to get get you through. Sometimes it. I also find that it removes some of the power off the disease itself if you kind of belittle it a little bit, <laughs> and and it helps you take control of it a little bit. Um, but yeah, she 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 loved a. a a little drink of wine and stuff and often on our whatsapp groups she would always be there with her, her little glass um of wine and she, we used to joke about things like um when i was going for ct scans and i would be having my bell prep she used to always text me and say i will ask them to stick a you know a cocktail umbrella and a maraschino cherry in it for you <laughs> like, <laughs> let's jazz it up a bit or um when i was going on a holiday for the first time um uh, for like years, um, and I was so excited about it. She would she would text me funny things like, "Yeah, just make sure that you don't like automatically sort of jump on to the scan machine and go through with the suitcase." <laughs> no. It's brilliant to have a friend like that. And Mari also shares how important it's been for her to have met Tasha and what she has given her even though Tasha is no longer with us. What I would say to other people is that obviously, of course, losing her was incredibly painful and sad, but the positivity and the fun and the laughs and the support and the empathy um, that uh, being her friend gave far outweighed uh, the pain and I guess the way I see it is that um, nothing in life comes for free unfortunately and uh, perhaps pain and, and grief is the small price we have to pay for all the the goodness um, that she brought and the positives that she brought to my life and many others and she's not with us now she still inspires me and she still carry her uh and she still inspires me she's she was big into her like fitness and exercise and and often uh she'd you know she'd be there doing a bicycle ride or doing a yoga class and um if i'm having a down day or a a day where i i'm really struggling i i think what would tasha do One of the things that's really come through this episode today is really hearing the power of talking, of listening to other people go through similar things to you and connecting with them, making friends. And that's a part of cancer that can be so sucky as we can be estranged from our friends that don't have cancer. 
finding people that get us is like a breath of fresh air. So if you have felt like that from listening to today's episode and you're like, you know what, I want more, go to shinecancersupport.org. There's loads of different events online. You can dip your toe in, check us out, go to the YouTube channel, see what we do, listen to the other episodes in their full length, get all the info that you need. And, you know, maybe think about what it is like to have friends that understand what it is that you are going through. So that's our show for today. We'll be back soon. Till next time. Bye. Not your grandma's cancer show.